here. And um, the message tonight, we are back in First Peter, as we have been just about every time I've been up here doing the message recently. And we're looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. We're, we've broken into officially the last chapter of First Peter after like a really long time. So we're almost there, almost to the end. So uh, let's go ahead and stand as we're able now that you've settled and got comfy. Uh, and we stand to, to honor God's word as it deserves all uh, honor and worship and praise. Um, so let us read First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. God's word says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word. Please remain standing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, you are good and gracious and mighty. Lord, thank you that all the things that we were just singing about you and the things that we were just, just that were pouring out of us in prayer are just all true and, Lord, have already pointed our hearts to you. God, we pray that you continue to point our hearts to you by the work of your spirit through your word tonight and the few moments we have around this text. We pray for your name's sake and glory on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Okay, so uh, church, friends, uh, as we come to Peter tonight, we find once again that Peter is addressing both a particular subgroup within the larger family of God as well as kind of the whole family of God at the same time. It's kind of a both and here. Uh, I was thinking about it this week that it, it's kind of like by way of analogy, what Peter is doing here is it's kind of like as if, uh, you know, we would write a Facebook post or an Instagram message or a tweet or something like targeted at or to a particular person, and yet it's on this public forum that everyone can see and everyone can read. It's kind of a little bit of what Peter is doing in various ways as he's gone along through this letter. Uh, we've seen him do a, a particular word to wives in this open letter that he was sending to everyone and to husbands at another point, to servants at another point. And tonight, sitting on the hot seat, front and center is the shepherd elders, is who uh, Peter has on his heart that he wants to address. And also kind of uh, in conjunction with that, everyone who's kind of interacting with these elders, engaging with them. And so uh, that being the case, I wanna just start right from the get-go saying what I think is kind of the main point and kind of summarize and encapsulize the main idea, what I think Peter is saying here, the, the, the primary message. And I think the primary word, the primary message that Peter is trying to convey to these shepherd elders and to everyone uh, kind of in conjunction with them is this message that would simply be this, that in the church, 
Disciples of Jesus are to major in humility towards one another. We are to excel in humility, might be another way of saying that. We are to be champions of humility as we interact, as we live our lives together in church, as we, as we do relationship one, with one another. And the reason for that, behind that, girding that up, is because Jesus Christ, as our chief shepherd, has majorly humbled himself, serving, loving us, to make us his flock, to make us his people, to make us his church. So we return and turn, and likewise in humility towards one another. I was uh, thinking about this, thinking about degrees, thinking about majoring in things uh, this week. So it made me think of college, college degrees, college classes, things we might get a major in. You might get a major in communications, for example. If, uh, if you're like me and you're kind of a dork, you might major in church history, which was like double, double nerd, right? Because not only is it church, it's also history. So like, you can't get much more dorky than that, right? Uh, but I got, I got a major in church history. Uh, other things, right? Engineering, uh, medicine, all of these other, other things. What, what's, what's something you guys are majoring in right now? Sociology, hey, there you go. There's a good one. Okay. Someone mentioned philosophy uh, this morning at the, at the morning service. Yeah, so all these things we can major in. And yet, as the people of God, the scriptures tell us that we are to major in humility. That is to be what we are going all in on as his people in the church. We read in verse 5 of the text, after four verses, Peter specifically addressing and targeting elders, he then kind of broadens it up. He opens it up a little bit more in verse 5, and he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then he goes real big. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, not some of you, all of you with humility, toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, if we if pause there for just a second, it might be worth it to just think about things that are kind of the opposite of humility. You know, we're talking about majoring in humility as, as we interact with one another in the church, elders, congregation, back and forth. What are things that are kind of the, the enemy or that run opposite to humility? Several things might come to your mind instantly. For, for me, I think of um, the word self-absorption, something that runs counter to humility in my life, in my heart, often. Uh, I, I mentioned this again uh, this morning in the first service, and I was reminded as I was thinking about this this week of a particular comedian that I listen to uh, now and again, who talks about the me monster, me, the me monster. So it's all about self, right? The me monster that lives inside of me that's just ready to come out in any particular moment and just like shout from the rooftops, the rooftops that it's all about me, right? It's me, mine, my, you know, it's all about that. What I want, my physical and emotional needs, my, uh, my desires or cravings, my plans or agenda, all of these things. Anyone familiar with the me monster thing, the whole bit? Brian Regan, yeah, there you go, okay. Brian Regan, yeah, okay, okay. 
not alone. That's good. Um, other things, though, that kind of run counter to humility in our lives. What, what do we think of? We think of, for me, I think of a critical spirit kind of runs counter to humility. A, a self-righteous spirit, a, a judgmental heart. As we look at other people, as we think about how other people are living their lives. It's essentially a spirit that would say, basically, there is, there is, there's kind of one, one right way, and it's basically my way. Anyone who is doing something other than what I'm doing or, or going, going down a different direction, that is, that is incorrect. That's, that's a critical spirit. You know, it's been said often, and I think it's, it's a trustworthy saying, I think it's well said, that uh, humility from a biblical perspective is not thinking less of yourself, but it's what? thinking of yourself less, right? It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's, uh, it, so it's, it's not about, in, in that sense, you know, kind of putting yourself down, just negatively thinking about yourself, self-loathing. That's not humility. What humility is actually quite, quite the opposite, kind of reciprocally, is actually, I think it's biblically, the, the good definition of humility is to be so secure and so rooted in your identity in Jesus Christ that you then have the capacity to look outward beyond yourself. You have the ability to look at the world and to think about the needs of others and to care about those things as opposed to being so inwardly focused and spun up around yourself that you have no time to think about the needs or the desires or the concerns of others around you. So it's not, it's not less of yourself, but yourself less. From that perspective, if that's true, humility is not degrading self, but becoming increasingly selfless because of Jesus entering into your heart and filling you up. If that's, if that's humility, then really the enemy of humility is any kind of personal insecurity or any life circumstance or any damaged way of thinking that compels us to put ourselves front and center, right? that compels us to put me in the middle of everything. And those, are, those are the enemies of humility in our lives and in our hearts. Those are the things that run counter to humility, gospel humility, biblical humility. And because of that, everything else, other people, other things become secondary, tertiary, we push them out, right? And yet, right, the gospel truth is that because Jesus Christ has indeed humbly served you and humbly served me as his people, because he is a good chief shepherd, as we see Peter refer to Jesus in that way in verse 4, the chief shepherd. If that's all true, if that's the gospel, then disciples of, of Jesus, you and I, we can actually major in humility towards one another. That can be a, the, the mainstay of our hearts. And then we can have this capacity to care in a new way. And care for others in the church. We can care for others in the context of marriage relationships and in friendships. And as we seek to parent in humility. So what does this look like? You know, I just mentioned that you could potentially apply uh, 
God's word on humility in a lot of different arenas of your life. But we have a particular text here in front of us, five particular verses. And so looking at that, what do we see here? I think we see two particular things. And the first is that when it comes to uh, elders, we see that when elders major in humility, we will become more faithful shepherds, shepherds, excuse me. And secondly, when a congregation majors in humility, we will become those who are more readily able to reject the pitfalls of pride. So for elders, we become more faithful shepherds. And for those in the congregation, we reject the temptation and the pitfall of pride. I want to just kind of dig into these for uh, a little bit more for the next few moments here. And as we think about uh, what Peter's saying here, and we actually think about Peter himself as a man, and as the author of this text, uh, we see right away that shepherding faithfully for Peter, that, that, is, that is a call that Peter uh, takes on and approaches uh, very sincerely in a very striking way. Peter is very humble in the way he takes on this call to be a shepherd. It's not something that he is doing in a kind of self-exalting, self-important kind of way. How do we know that? How do we, how do we see that in the text? Well, I think one example, as we see for starters, a stray away in verse 9 of the text is that Peter appeals to these other elders that he's referring to in this letter. These other elders who are among those who are scattered. Remember, if we go back to the very first chapter, the very first verse, Peter's writing to the believers who are scattered in these five different territories all throughout Asia Minor. So as Peter is writing to those guys, to the elders who are scattered in these various territories, the way he approaches them and addresses them is not, first and foremost, uh, with some statement about or some claim to his, his high status as an apostle. He, he doesn't tout initially and immediately the fact that, hey, you know what, you need to listen to me because I was one of the original 12 that walked with Jesus. It's not how he addresses them. No, what do we see in the text? Rather, he, he appeals to them, he exhorts them as a fellow elder. Basically, just as a guy talking to other guys just like himself. Peter doesn't command these elders in some kind of harsh way or some kind of demeaning way. He doesn't appeal to them on the basis of some amazing thing that he had done or experienced. Like for example, he doesn't say, hey guys, listen up. Remember me, I'm the guy who walked on water. So on that basis, here's what I need to tell these. He doesn't do that. He doesn't appeal to the fact that, that he personally received a commission from Jesus to shepherd his, his sheep and, and to feed his lambs and his flock that we see at the end of the Gospel of John. It's not that either. What Peter does, nothing fancy, nothing, nothing claiming status. It's this humble approach. It's this gentle touch, this gentle approach as a fellow elder talking to other elders. So for Peter, shepherding faithfully means, for starters, a humble approach. Secondly, though, I think it also means uh, that there is a continuing presence. There's a humble approach and a humble continuing presence, a persistence 
of presence that we see Peter allude to here as well. In verse 2 of the text, as we move on from the, the opening, we see that Peter commands fellow elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The NIV translates it, uh, same ideas a little differently, says, be shepherds of God's flock which is under your care, watching over them. Of course, if we're talking about uh, elders being among a congregation and oversight, if we're talking about under care, watching over all of the, these kinds of uh, labels and language, what is very much implied here is this kind of continued, regular interaction. This kind of ongoing knowledge of one another. A kind of mutual and reciprocal kind of relationship and knowing of one another. Uh, you know, I know, uh, just thinking, connecting this to real life, well, this is real life, but connecting it to, to an analogy for a moment, I uh, personally am not, uh, have never been a rancher, right? didn't, didn't grow up on a farm or any of that, I, I don't know sheep super intimately. I know, I know Richard, Richard, you know sheep pretty well, right? Uh, some of us, anyone else feel like you know sheep really well? Like you've had some interactions? No? Okay. Well, then we're all kind of in the same boat. But I've read some stuff, and it seems like that if you are a shepherd over sheep, it's a very intimate, kind of involved process, right? You can't be a shepherd of sheep from a distance. You can't shepherd a flock, you know, via Zoom, or, or telecommunications, you know, conferencing, long distance, nothing like that. If, if you are to really be a, a true shepherd, true shepherding is about continued and real presence together. Sometimes it seems that a shepherd would need to be in the dirt and in the heat and in the rain, in the dark with the sheep. Hopefully, uh, I think there would probably also be beautiful moments, right? Th those are the scary and the dark things. But there'd be beautiful moments out by the still waters, by the green pastures, just soaking in the beauty of, of creation and the sun. Either way, we're talking about shepherd presence, real togetherness that's needed for this kind of shepherding relationship. Peter goes on in verses 2 and 3 also to describe these kind of, what I would say are marks of faithful shepherding. Peter gives us kind of three negatives and three positives here that fill out this picture. Three negatives of what faithful shepherding is not and positives of what it is. So we can kind of see it, it's outlined on the slide. I'll just go through them. So negatives, what faithful shepherding is not. He says it's not under compulsion, it's not for shameful gain. And it's not domineering. Flip it around, the other side, the positives. It is willing, it is eager, and it is one who is seeking to be an example to the flock, to the congregation. Whenever I see a list in scripture, you know, I, I tend to, like my brain starts to kind of overload you know, there's just so many different implications from a list like this where you, you can go so many different directions with it. But I think the most important takeaway for us as we're thinking about 
faithful shepherding, faithful eldering from this list is to simply note that when it comes to the, these couplets, these three couplets that Peter uh, lays out here, it is either the presence of humility or the absence of humility that makes the big difference between what is, what is good and beautiful and what is wrong and, and incorrect. Let me, let me try and spell that out for us. Uh, to kind of walk through these a little bit more particularly as an example. So, <clears throat> verse 2, we see not under compulsion. Well, we might ask, what does it mean to be, you know, what is compulsion? I think what we, what we can see and what we, what we realize when we think about what it means to be under compulsion is that that, that is some kind of a form of pride. It's, 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 to be under compulsion is to be one who says, you, I have to do this thing or I need to do this thing because either no one else can do it or no one else will do it or everyone else is going to do it wrong. Right? So that's, that's the negative. We're not supposed to be shepherding, eldering from that perspective of pride. The contrast is we are supposed to have this willing spirit, a spirit that would say, wow, I, I can't believe I get to do this. Right? This, this, is, this is a privilege. This is an honor. This is a beautiful thing to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a part of the church in this way. I will serve willingly because the door is open for it, and I can. Secondly, you know, see the same thing. Verse 2, not for shameful gain. Of course, if anyone is kind of thinking about gain, they're thinking in a self-centered kind of way. They're thinking about, what is in this for me? What can I get out of this? Peter says, no, it's not about what you can get out of it. You are to be eager in what you can do to serve others. Eagerly serving because Jesus Christ has first and foremost served me, has served you. Domineering, same thing. Domineering at, at the root of someone who wants to domineer and kind of like just exert power over others is this insecurity, right, ironically? Someone who wants to just, just be all-powerful often is someone who is, uh, you know, wanting to, uh, to kind of secure their identity, right? They want to be bigger, they want to be more powerful, they want to be more important. But rather, Peter is saying, humility is one who seeks to be an example. Humbly seeking to follow Jesus and saying, hey, Follow me as I try to follow Jesus. It's the calling of the elder. As I think about that and uh, think about it in relation to myself especially, I think especially what it means to, to be an example to the flock, for me, a huge part of it is to be an example in being able to repent and to kind of be the first to say, I did it wrong. That is a, a chief way that I think elders are called to be an example. I think it's similar in the home. Mothers and fathers in the home are called to model and portray the gospel in the home, not because they're being perfect and they're perfectly doing everything right all the time in the home, but because they can acknowledge when they've gone wrong, when they've messed up. And they, and they can say, you know, son, daughter, wife, husband, forgive me did it wrong. I think that's essential to faithful eldering, to 
just like it is to anyone in the church, be in the body together. So faithful shepherding then involves, I think, all of these things, these, these character traits, these qualities, but at the root of all of them, I think, is this central idea of majoring in humility, this calling that is essential. We uh, could step away from the text and think about all the ways we see this in the world around us. We can think about church history, recent church history, and think of uh, the calling of elders and kind of the rise and fall of churches. We can think of Israel's history and how very often the, the elders and the, the leaders and the shepherds are the ones kind of in the crosshairs when the prophets speak. And often it's this kind of word of lament saying, the prophet saying, or, or the Lord saying, you know, the, the people I have given to be these, these elders, the judges and the prophets and the kings, they're doing it all wrong. And so what does the Lord do? He's, he, he sends his own shepherd, right? He sends Jesus Christ to be the chief shepherd that no one in history could ever be. Acknowledging what we need, fulfilling all our needs as the chief shepherd who lays down his life for his flock, for his, his people. As I think more personally, you know, this whole sermon on one level is awkward because I'm like preaching to myself, right? But I think about our church and I think about, um, you know, we have currently at the moment, we have eight uh, elders, technically. We have, we have two teaching elders, Josh and me, who who are doing this eldering thing, shepherding thing full-time. And then there's six other guys who do other things full-time and also on top of that seek to serve and love and, and uh, care for the church, and shepherd the church. And, you know, we, we are prayerfully, hum you know, seeking to be that kind, you know, these kind of guys, right? To walk humbly, to, to serve this congregation well, to shepherd faithfully. Knowing, of course, that we're missing it at times. Knowing always that we need the whole body, right? It's never about one person or one class, but it's about the whole body working together. Knowing always that just like Paul would often in his letters would say, hey, pray for me, <laughs> that, that, that that's needed for us, right? As, as pastors, as elders, as leaders, we need the congregation, the body to be praying for us as well, very much, all the time. Uh, it's a body, it's, it's a family working together. So, that's our calling, and I think humble elders will, by God's grace, seek to shepherd faithfully as God enables them to, as they realize that Jesus is the chief shepherd over all of them. It's the first one. Second one, way more brief, because I feel like I'm going long, it feels warm in here, and everyone wants chili which is kind of weird that it's warm and we want chili. Is anyone else warm or is it just me? Crickets, okay, I heard one, it's warm, okay. There we go. Anyway, so last one, I promise it'll be much more brief. Humble, what does it mean to be a humble congregation to reject pride, the pitfalls of pride and temptation? You know, elders get four verses here of kind of, okay, what, do you, what is this supposed to look like? How do we work this out? When it comes to everyone else, the all of you here, it's, it's totally vague. It's, it's this wide open field. All it says essentially is clothe yourselves with humility, right? 
It's this picture of adorning, wrapping yourselves in something so that another thing is not there, right? And that's, that's the idea. You're wrapping yourself, clothing yourself in humility so that pride is pushed out and done away with and covered up. Think of pride as often as kind of a, a weed that needs to be rooted out of our hearts and of our lives. I remember uh, a message a long time ago thinking about pride and, and thinking of pride by way of analogy uh, as kind of a, a black widow spider. And pride, you know, personally, black widows creep me out. They look like evil incarnate to me, personally. But, but I hear if you're nice to them, they're nice to you. So I don't know. I don't want to test that hypothesis. But the black widow spider, right, the, often they're really good at hiding. You don't know they're there, just like pride. The way you know a black widow is there is by the nasty, sticky web, the thick web, right, that, that you just suddenly walk through or you throw the stick down and it doesn't hit the ground because it gets caught creeps you out. Same thing with pride, right? Often you don't know pride is there, but you, you begin to notice there's a lot of sticky mess around you everywhere. And you, you know, you, maybe if there's a lot of sticky, hard mess around you all the time, you should begin to think maybe, man, maybe me. <laughs> maybe there's some pride in my life. Maybe there's some pride in my heart that's in some way contributing to this hardness that I'm in the midst of question for me to think of, for us to think of. So application here for the congregation, seek not to be uh, just a consumer or a critic who stands on the outside of the arena and points in and says, hey, look at all these people doing all these things wrong, or points at leadership and says, look at this leadership and how they're botching it. I don't feel like that characterizes this congregation. Praise the Lord. You guys are sweet. You guys are awesome. But that's the call, right? To uproot that desire to just be the, the critic from outside the arena. The calling is to get in the arena and, and get dirty with the body, right? So this is the call, right? When we major in humility as elders, we begin to shepherd more faithfully. When we major in humility as a congregation, we begin to, to push out the, these pitfalls of pride that divide and separate the body. We can, we can engage in all of these things because Jesus Christ himself is the good, true shepherd of our hearts, of our lives, and of the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I have a few other notes here, but I'm going to end it there. Because that feels like the right place. Pray with me. Father in heaven, God, thank you that you are a good and gracious and a humble God, Lord. How incredible, how mind-blowing that the God and King of the universe took on flesh and dwelt among us. How incredible that he came and served and walked among us, that he, he went to the cross for us. Lord, how can that not change us? Lord, forgive us for the ways that it hasn't changed us. Lord, and Lord, continue to work on us. Connect the dots of the gospel to our hearts. Lord, that the humility of Jesus and the, and the good shepherdness of Jesus 
would lead us to be more faithful and loving and kind and gracious people. Your, your people, your flock. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.